Hey everyone, it's Aaron Mara here, local realtor in the greater Seattle area again. It's our second podcast episode of season one here on uh, Aaron Morrow Real Estate for everyone here. I'm actually joined uh, for my semi-regular co-host, Brian LaFlame, fantastic lender I work with here in the greater Seattle area through Movement Mortgage. I'm going to bring them up on stage right now. And if you're watching us, by the way, on some other platforms that aren't Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, or YouTube, if you're watching us on um, Instagram or Clapper, you can always go over to YouTube. Just read the descriptions on how to find us. And uh, Brian? If you're watching us on thank- Wuzzlebug or Street Snap or any of those too, just head on over to YouTube. You'll get the right instructions. You'll get them. You, you'll yeah. be able to find us. We are everywhere, folks. <laughs> we're on our podcast, too. You can find us on Newsbreak, too, in our blog posts as well. So right. we're definitely everywhere. So good. Well, glad to have you on, Brian. I know we tried to get you on for my fir- or our first episode, but didn't work out last week. But I was able to rope in some of my uh, colleagues at last minute. So that was yeah. great. It was fun getting them on. And You're welcome, um, Internet. Yeah. Thank you. Hey. I also wanted to mention, you know, um, some of my followers on here or my subscribers, they've seen my uh, playlist that I have on here that is my video testimonials from past clients. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we've been working together for a while now. And I think there's two testimonials on there from past clients of ours, uh, Miriam and Laura. So I'll just show them on the screen real quick. Like we were saying, we've got a few in the good pile. And we've got about 15 or 20 in the just horrible client experiences playlist, which in hindsight, that was a bad thing to create. Yeah. So we definitely nuked that playlist because I, I just yeah. don't know why we would, you know, try to curate that and work. I'll so tell hard you guys, on- podcast listener and watcher, if you have any enemies, Aaron and I would be happy to do a horrible job for them. And then they go in the horrible experience playlist. That's what we do. So, <laughs> <laughs> we love helping your friends and families. We do a great job. And if you have enemies... We'll do a horrible job. We'll be very petty with you. <laughs> We're full service. Full service. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, Brian is uh, definitely the jokester when it comes to uh, our podcast. So. <laughs> I was told that was a, that's probably not serious. No, no, it's good. Yeah, fantastic. Well, Brian, yeah, um, I know last week we were actually going to want to talk about uh, some interest rates and kind of how mm-hmm. they're going a little bit down. A wee bit down in an opposite bit. direction. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, I know they kind of hiked like crazy um, over, you know, the last uh, 20 what, months or so. Yeah, year? since yeah. March of last yeah. year. I don't know. It feels like it's been 20 years. I don't know. It does. But... We've just been since March last year. We've just been coming to work and getting kicked in the gut every single day. Yeah. 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 It seems seems insane. Uh, it but looks yeah. like you turned a corner. I almost before. Mm-hmm. I almost turned one of your videos in a reaction video just because I was getting so excited watching <laughs> um, your commentary on this pivotal shift that we're kind yeah. of entering with the slight dips that we're seeing. And you know what? So in that video that I caught, your the main takeaway I got from it was this is kind of one of those perfect times to really get off the couch and buy right now before mm-hmm. it starts getting really hot out there. And I'm already noticing some competition to heat up even during the holidays right now, where normally cyclically it's a seasonal slowdown. 
So, so next next yeah. week I'll have a couple of charts. Our computer went down. Everything has been trying to make this not happen. My computer crashed this morning and we're getting it replaced. So I don't have all the normal files that I would have to share. But next week, uh, if we have it, uh, if we do this again, when we do this again next week, I'll share a couple of slides about what it means to be on the front end of the curve when you see things happening. So the market, it's I, I liken it to it started in late October. It started taking the first step on a thousand mile journey for rates to come down which is great because you can't you can't get to the end destination if you don't start and we haven't started yet we've had a, we hadn't started yet we had a couple of false starts uh, but eventually the rest of uh, society the rest of the market buyers that have been on the sidelines are going to catch on uh, when rates went from seven percent to eight percent five million more people were, were mathematically um, eliminated from being able to purchase a four hundred thousand dollar house uh, when rates went up from 7% to 8%. Rates have come back down now from the eights into the low sevens and in some instances, maybe some high sixes. Uh, and so that's 5 million now people that have been, uh, that are now mathematically able to purchase a $400,000 house. Uh, but also you have to take into account the people who emotionally now are going to want to jump back into this market. The people that didn't get mathematically disqualified as rates went up, but they just got emotionally beaten down. They got fatigue. Uh, as I kept seeing rates go up, those people are going to be coming back in as well. Uh, and a lot of uh, we're, we're counseling and coaching a lot of our business partners and a lot of people that are um, uh, getting pre-approved to buy a house that now I know it, it's not normally December isn't normally the time to be buying a house. But you want to be out in front of people that jump into the market uh, after the new year when normally people start kind of putting their feelers out there again uh, this time la or yeah. It, January 1st to the January to uh, the first week of January last year, we had the largest increase in mortgage purchase application activity in history. Wow. And you'll remember that in January last wow. year, we went down to 5.99% before coming back up in February with some pretty negative jobs numbers. Um, but the market spoke that as rates went from, you know, the uh, high sixes to low sevens in November, December last year, uh, where we got all the way up to eight this year, um, we, we got, uh, uh, to the high sixes and low sevens at the uh, end of last year. And when we went down to just 5.99, the market spoke and people jumped in. I want to be the person who's acting before that. I want to be the person yeah, who has less competition. I want to be the person who uh, is able to still negotiate closing costs. I want to be the person who is still able to, um, you know, negotiate in my favor when I'm talking to a seller because there's not 15 people behind me. Uh, that's who I want to be. And we see the market and we'll talk about it a little, in a little bit where rates are going and why we think that. Uh, and as, as the rest of society uh, here catches on, people will be jumping in and, and you have a chance to be up in front of them or you have a chance to be uh, competing with them. Yeah, no, that definitely all makes sense, Brian. And um, I was saying last week, um, cyclical we were talking about how markets are cyclical too and just normally around the holiday seasons uh it's buyer turnout is typically lower anyways mm -hmm. and that's i found that's traditionally my buyers usually get the best deals around the holidays anyways yeah i mean every year over the i i would feel like over the past six years i've gotten a buyer to just get a fantastic deal in a home with mm -hmm. you know without fail. They've always gotten a home that's significantly be below list price, even during the pandemic, you mm -hmm. know, around the hall. Now I'm not talking about after new year's, you know, that was different. Right. Yeah. But 
around that Christmas time or the holiday season in December. We're all fat and happy and mm-hmm. worried about other things and don't want to move. Half the agents what? aren't working. You know, all yeah. the people are out of town or they're not looking or some of the mm-hmm. sellers aren't doing anything. You know, that's usually. And not only that, I've actually. I, w- I would say that's when I look back at my numbers. um how many deals that I've done with my clients when, you know, cause every year I do a, a, a few different off market deals where, you know, they were on the multiple listing service. They weren't listed. Right. I get, you know, at least one of those are around that time frame too. Hmm. So, and that's usually, that's another Avenue that a, a buyer can go down to get, you know, secure a really good deal is find an off market deal. That's not on the MLS. So, yeah. Those yeah. seem to be more and more popular up until November. We had been trending nationwide um, uh, at the lowest level of new listings each week in history on record. So each week, the yeah. amount of properties that came onto the market that week were lower than they'd ever been for that week of the year for 15 consecutive months until November when rates started to move down a little bit. And it just barely eked it out because it's like the holiday season, but off market um, deals because we have such incredibly tight and low inventory uh, is a, is an, is a really good way to kind of strategize in this market for what you may want. Cause the only thing lower than buyer um, activity right now is the amount of listings on the market Uh, and buyer activity is going to fix itself as rates go down. But that's not going to add more listings uh, and uh, off-market nope. deals are going to be a great we way. We have a supply issue s- still, and, and we're, we're still going to have a supply issue once rates go down and buyers come back into the market, mm-hmm. you know, and now they're going to be entering a market where uh, interest rates are coming back down, but they're not down into the threes anymore. Like they were yeah. in the we're pandemic, have- they're coming down. You're going to have pandemic like um, uh, feeding frenzy with buyers, but rates are going to be at five and a half instead of three and a half. And house prices are still going to be strong. Like for the Seattle area, we're still one of the top 10 most expensive areas to live in in the United States. And that's not going to change because we don't have the house. I I think I did a thing last November, April about um, the last 10. I I did a class inside of our inner circle Facebook group, a Facebook group that we have for um, business partners. Um, and I did, I looked past at the last 10 years from 2012 when the market bottomed after the 2008 housing crash, uh, market bottom in 2012 and it started to come back up. And for 10 consecutive years, 11 now in 2023, uh, so-called experts had called for a housing crash, a uh, housing bubble and a housing crash. So I went through all of their logic, what they said would happen and then what actually happened. Um, and what the conclusion I came to after diving so deeply into all of that research is we're unfortunately not going to have enough inventory until a certain generation gets a certain age and starts to leave the housing market without buying new houses. So when the uh, baby boomer generation uh, moves and it's going to be about 2030 when the youngest of them uh, or the old, yeah, the youngest of them will be um, uh, at an age when most of them are moving into assisted living or unfortunately passing away with just normal lifespans. Uh, that is going to be the thing that finally loosens up some of the housing inventory because we can't build it fast enough. Right now, we're building about 1.4 million homes a year nationwide, but we have 1.5 million new home, new household formations every year. So we've for 15 straight years, we've built fewer homes than we needed for household formations, uh, and we continue uh, to increase that deficit every year. So new construction isn't uh, 
new construction isn't going to pick up the slack. Uh, and you, I mean, resale homes are just the amount of homes we have. They're just resale homes. That's what, that, what there is. So we have a, we have a bit until inventory loosens up. Unfortunately, it's expensive. I completely agree with you and not to take us on a wild tangent, but not only that, but with all of these corporations that are buying up the resale market mm-hmm. as residential for rental properties. Yeah. Uh, and there's there are there are large pockets of the United States where there are these new construction developments that are being built for rent. Yeah. So I'm not seeing them so much in the Seattle area, but there are these pockets of the US where these these companies they're building new construction properties as large master plan communities and all of them are for rent. You can't oh. buy these houses, you yep. know. And rental properties, so hedge funds, the in, as of June 2022, it's the latest data, data that I have, hedge funds own 3% of all single-family homes in America. That's incredible. That's a huge number. Um, now, if they put that all that uh, onto the market as new home inventory, it's not going to really get us to where we need to go. Uh, a lot of people thought the Airbnb um, kind of, uh, as Airbnbs became less and less profitable and people post-pandemic stopped Um wanted to travel quite as much and stay in Airbnbs. They thought, Hey, if all these Airbnbs go back on the market, the short-term rentals go back on the market, it's going to, um, it's going to really, you know, uh, flood the market with inventory. Airbnbs are less than a, a million, uh, less than 1% of home inventory. It's not going to, it wouldn't, wouldn't have an effect, but hedge funds own 3%. Um, and there was a bill just introduced in Congress, uh, to ban hedge funds from owning residential real estate, which I am, hundred percent for, I think in Germany, you're tapped out at like 10 doors. Uh, there's European nations that have dealt with this already. Uh, and what, what these hedge funds do is they come in and they buy a bunch of homes in an area and then they rent these homes out and they buy the last home. A lot of times, not every time will buy the last home more expensively than they bought the other homes. And then that ups the value of all those homes. They rent them all out. They can set the market for rent. And now they have an appreciating asset because they've taken supply away. So it's going to falsely appreciate. And they get a dividend every month in this rent. It's genius. And they can buy these yeah. things for cash. So they don't really have many carrying costs either. It's the same as buying a stock and letting it ride. Uh, but what it does is it pushes out Joe and Johnny uh, um, and Sally homeowner uh, who, from being able to buy their first home. I agree. I think it makes it hard for everyone. It It's making it, 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 it's, I hate to use this term because <laughs> it's not trickle down economics, but Ooh, it's no, a trickle it's down. It, it's a trickle down effect as far as like it's it's tough on it's tough on the renters it's tough mm-hmm. on uh it's tough on our normal average joe homeowners it's yep. tough on uh even like the normal landlords that are not the moment, pop, in like, the biz- yeah they're not yeah. corporate landowner you know landlords you know yeah we had um, a some legislation that was put up in Tacoma some local legislation about um what what you couldn't evict a family during the school year um, if you're a, a landlord and you couldn't have, you had to give them so much notice. It just made it really much more difficult for a landlord to evict um, uh, a renter, which you shouldn't be taking advantage of people not paying your rent if you can pay your rent. But also most, like you said, most landlords are just mom and pop. Somebody who bought a first home and then instead of selling that home, they wanted to give it away, uh, put it in their um, their estate to, you know, uh, pass down to their children. They rented it out and bought another home as they moved up. That's most landlords. Most people that our landlords own one to two houses and that um, it really affects those hedge funds coming in and buying really affects those people. And this, the, that sort of legislation is trying to stop. 
you know, big corporations from doing that, but most are mom and pop. Now we'll get past. Let's wait and see. Let's know? wait and see. Yeah, probably. Maybe. <laughs> Lobbying. We'll see. It might get killed. You know? Yeah. Also, yeah. trickle-down economics has always had a negative trickle-down effect. So it did of something course. good trickle-down. <laughs> yeah, it would be a nice positive trickle-down economic effect. Um, yes. But yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you. And again, to come back to the interest rates and one more uh, one more mm-hmm. thing that I did want to mention is just for uh, for our listeners that aren't local to the Seattle area but are thinking because we get a lot of people that are come to our channel and are contemplating making the move to the Seattle area. Um, some people when they they start, you know, thinking about making that move, they look into the rental process over here, and sometimes it's really tough to find a rental here too. Like yeah. our rental laws are so strict on both sides. For landlords and tenants, like mm-hmm. it's gotten so tough to, to basically get, find a rental and to qualify to, to get into a rental where you, I, you know, I tell all my home buyers that, you know, I think you're shooting yourself in the foot if you don't at least look into what your options are yeah, to see if you qualify to buy a home. You know, if you're going to move over here, why not at least look into the home buying process to see if you qualify now, or at least get an idea of what, you know, let's get a baseline going of, of where you need to be. Because the worst case scenario we ever get is someone just doesn't qualify yet. And what, what do they need to do to get there? You know, what, Uh what can we do? What sort of problems do they need fixed? You know, and this is, this is your arena. That's not on me. Cause I, you know, you're the, the most, you're yeah, one of the, the most pervasive expert, myths you know? um, out there still is you need 20% down to buy a house. And so then people don't even look into it. They think, well, yeah. I'm going to have to rent because I don't have 24% down. They don't even allow themselves to contemplate or they don't let, let it into their consciousness that I could actually be a homeowner. And it's such a pervasive myth. And I will tell you, we've helped over a hundred families this year and I could probably count on two hands, the amount that put 20% down. Um, this it's just not a thing that is normal. Like, and why would it be? Um, I'm a big fan of leveraging other people's money and a quick math problem of if you put 5% down on a $500,000 house, that's $25,000. And if, you know, historically say you buy in Pierce County, the historic appreciation rate in Pierce County is 5.06%. So say that house goes up normally 5% next year. Well, if you put 20% down, which is a hundred thousand dollars, that's awesome. You've made 25% of your money because your house went up 25 grand. That's great. But if you had just put that 5% down, you've doubled that money. So the return yeah. on investment, the more you leverage, the thing that's so unique about real estate is the ability to leverage an asset with, with, uh, you know, with relatively small amounts of money. Uh, yeah. If you can afford the mortgage payment comfortably, why would you put more down than you have to? Um, you can, you can use that capital to do anything else uh, that's going to make you uh, give you a return, but your ROI is going to be incredible. And say it goes up 5% again the next year, that's compounding from the 525. Now you're at 551, 250. So you've you've got a 200% return on your money in two years um, by putting that 5% down and you've already got to live somewhere anyway. So it's an asset you get to utilize. You get to make memories in, you get to live, you get to pass down. Um, if you set up your uh, estate plan correctly, you can pass it down with very little taxes um, uh, to your heirs and you can leverage such a small amount of money. It, it's fantastic. Um, we were talking about, uh, yeah, that difficulty of um, people thinking that they can't even purchase. Uh, the rental market is at an all-time, rental vacancy rates are at an all-time low, so it's hard to get into rental anyways. 
uh, and you don't have to have as much money as you think you do. I like to tell people, I do tell people, like everybody can buy a home. It's just a matter of where you are on that journey. There is a journey that leads to the front door of your house. And maybe you're on the front steps right now, or maybe you're down the street. But just finding out where you are so that we can build a plan to get you where you want to be, whether it be tomorrow, next month, six months, next year, or a year and a half. Like we talked about at the beginning with interest rates, taking that first step of that thousand mile journey towards working their way back down. And they take multiple steps since then. Uh, you can't start a journey or you can't finish a journey if you don't start it. Uh, and talking to a lender, talking to somebody you trust, if just kind of get a snapshot of where you are uh, and how uh, and what steps you can take to get to where you want to be. It's just a fact finding mission and it is the smartest thing most people can do. There's so little pressure to just find out where you are. I completely agree with you. And I think I think the biggest obstacle in the way for most people is that well, a couple of things. It's yeah, it's the unknown. It's just mm-hmm. the lack of what they don't know. They don't know what they don't know. Right. But it's also that fear of just having to go through being told no, you know? Yeah. And I think it's also, we have a huge issue. Just, it, I think just socially, just how our, how our nation is. We, we have a, this even just, <laughs> It, it's not just this generation, this current generation or just, you know, but I think just the problem with the U S right now is there's a lot of people that want this instant gratification and yeah. getting a house into home ownership is not, it's not instant gratification. It's not sexy, mm-hmm. you know, building up even, even that small amount of savings it takes to, you know, for some people, wherever they are geographically. Cause you know, there's different pockets of the U S where, you know, I'm chatting with my uh, realtor buddies on TikTok. you know, that are in different parts of the pockets of the U S where you can get a decent house for 250 K, you know, that's not here. Right. But um, even like building up a few thousand dollars, a couple thousand dollars, some, sometimes that's hard for people to really focus on and do that. Right. Yeah. And, And a lot of people even here when there's down payment assistance programs and there's, you know, even when they know that they only have to do three and a half down or 3% Mm -hmm. down, or sometimes there's conventional loans that they can do 1% down Mm -hmm. all these different programs out there for houses here. When they, when they learn all this and they take the totality and they talk to you as the lender wanting to take the discipline necessary to, to save up to do that versus being like, but I want that fancy sports car now. Like I'd rather lease okay. that now. Okay. And like do that, you know? Yeah. And like if, and if I, that's more important to you, that's your choice as an adult to be more yeah. important. I'm not going to stand away yeah. that, but you have the information. No, of course. I of course. What, yeah. And I, I think, I think that's, I think that's the, where some people, and I think, they share that info and some people don't even go to the point where they get to the table to make the application. Yeah. So I think that's where we run into where I talk to some people where, cause there's a lot of times where like when I talk to all of my, you know, real estate peeps around me. Right. And there's a lot of, you talk to clients that really seem excited and generally like, Hey, homeownership is something I want to do. Like, Mm -hmm. this is something I'm really into. I really want to become a homeowner. And that's what we're here to do. We're here to help improve and change lives through real estate, through homeownership, right? Uh, But then there's that disconnect. The moment you introduce them to a 
lender that you know, like, and trust that they should talk to and get that next ball rolling. Some people never start that next step. You know, yeah. never, they, no matter how meaningful you've made that handoff, they'll never take that next step into making that, yeah. you know, yeah. It can so be very know. intimidating for people and very vulnerable and they could feel very, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. and you know, I think it's because as a society, we set up that you're, you know, how much money you have or how many, um, what your credit score is or how much money you make is some sort of reflection on your value as a person. Uh, and we try very hard at the Lothlane group to dispel that myth that like, that means nothing. Also, I don't remember tomorrow what your credit score was or how much money you make. It's just a formula that we got to put plug in to be able to get you to where you want to be. But we do believe in this society a lot that that is something that speaks to our value as people. And it's just absolutely not. Uh, what speaks to the value, your value as a person is taking a risk, uh, doing what's best for you, doing what's best for your family, even when you're scared. Uh, and there, I got to tell you, selfishly, there is no feeling like being able to sit across on somebody or Zoom with them and let them know that, yes, they do indeed get to buy a house. They never thought they could. No one in their family had. Uh, they had no idea um, that they could buy without 20% down or that there was down payment assistance or just that like that feeling that you get when you give people keys and they're homeowners now and being able to sit and be like, yeah, you get to buy a house. And there's so many meetings where I'll, I cry with them. They just uh, mostly cause I prank them and then they get scared and I ruin the whole moment. And then <laughs> I cry. or you prank me, you know, yeah. <laughs> you have them call me like right before closing and be like, I don't want to work with Brian anymore. Like Miriam. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yes, you no. do. yeah. She was fantastic. I, completely agree with you by the way like that um i mean it's the it's one of the big whys of um why you do it one of you know i love working with everyone that's looking to buy or sell and you know move up buyers people you know retirees that need to downsize and but i still always go back to i love working with first-time homebuyers just because it that's such a phenomenal life-changing thing when they get the keys to their first home that they get a call theirs. That, yeah. that is like the drug to me every time. You we know? get to be a small part of something that's so memorable to people. Uh, whether it's their first or their fifth, it's it's a big deal. It's memorable, especially yeah. though when it's their first. Especially when it's their first. And Agreed. there's just something about the pride of when I like, going to Lowe's is different. Going to Home Depot is different. Like everything is different when it's yours. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, I th- you talk about rates. Yeah, let's let's talk about rates. Do I need to um, pop something up for you? Let's see. Yeah, I'm going to do a little screen share with you guys, and I'm going to bring you okay. through kind of a history from the beginning of COVID till now. What's been happening and why? Uh, okay, perfect. So bear with me. I'm on a different computer, and the screen is a little smaller, so it's not going to be quite as fluid. And you guys don't understand, have to understand all that's going on here. I'll explain it as Brian's well. main computer got like nuked right before it we did. were going to go live. So. Uh, but we we persist, right? We are soldiering on. Yep, we are. So this is if you if this is a ten year treasury market, and if you notice these daily moves, green and red, each of these candlesticks are a daily move. Look at these huge moves. This is March 2020, the very beginning of COVID. Look at how they dwarf the rest of uh, the daily moves. 
There's been yes. some large ones, but none as large as this. And you guys remember all the fear that was going through uh, society. And uh, we didn't know if we were going to shut down the economy for good. We didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know if we were going to survive. There's so much fear. And the market hates uncertainty. And that's all we had was uncertainty. So that's why you see these huge moves up and down, up and down, up and down. What happened was the Federal Reserve stepped in and they started purchasing um, mortgage-backed securities and 10-year treasury notes. They dropped their federal funds rate to zero and they started purchasing mortgage-backed securities and 10-year treasuries to calm the markets. The U.S. bond market, which is the largest um, uh, market in the world by a long shot, it's not even close, Uh, and the mortgage-backed security market to calm the housing market as well. And so you can see these very low 10-year treasury yields, 0.5, 0.6. We got down to 0.2 something, uh, 0.25 as our lowest. You don't have to understand what any of that means. I just want to walk you through as we're moving here. Uh, even these moves up aren't real big moves up. This is what was keeping rates at the two and a half, three, three and a half percent mark. Uh, and the Federal Reserve, or yeah, the Federal Reserve continued to buy mortgage-backed securities and treasuries uh, all the way through 2020, all the way through 2020, uh, uh, almost all the way through 2021, well, all the way through 2021. In October of 2021, they announced that they were going to taper those purchases of mortgage-backed securities and treasuries. So they were buying over $100 billion per month of these things, which is an incredible amount. Um, and they said that, well, all right, you know, I think we've done what we need to do. We're not going to get into what we think about how long they went or what uh, the effect of the economy they had. That doesn't matter. We're just going to talk about the facts. Uh, they said, we think we're we done what we need to do. We're going to slowly taper down these purchases till we get to zero. So in October of 2021, they announced that and they started tapering these purchases, buying uh, a few less uh, mortgage-backed securities every month and a few less treasuries every month until eventually in March, they got, March of 2020, they got down to buying zero mortgage-backed securities and treasuries every month. And that was right around here. And then look at this move, this shot up, just interest rates went up quickly um, to match with inflation uh, until the summer of 2022, uh, excuse me, summer of 2021, where uh, um, uh, inflation came down for a bit and then shot back up uh, through uh, the end of the year. We finally had a good inflation report in October of 2022. And you can see that right here. November 10th of 2022 was our first positive inflation report where we showed non-month over month growth of inflation. The Fed had been raising their federal funds rate over and over and over again. Right here in July of 20 or June of 2022, um, they raised it for seven, at 75 basis points uh, for the first time in over 22 years. So was, they're being very aggressive. Uh, and what the Federal Reserve does when they raise their federal funds rate or they, they, they try to take money out of the economy. So uh, the federal funds rate, a lot of people will um, conflate it with mortgage interest rates. Um, so when the Fed dropped the rate to zero, I got a lot of calls of people saying, oh, my gosh, did uh, the Fed just dropped my mortgage rate to zero? Or when the Fed started raising rates, it said, did the Fed raise my mortgage rate? Well, no, the Fed doesn't do that. Um, the Fed raises and lowers the federal funds rate as a way to either uh, restrict mon- uh, money flowing through the economy or to uh, push more money into uh, the economy. The federal funds rate is just the overnight rate um, that banks or uh, charge one another for uh, in order to have the liquidity um, required on hand for the next day. So they get it either from bank to bank and it's an overnight loan. Or they go to the Fed cash window, uh, what they call, and they do what they call repos. They trade treasuries for cash, reverse repos, cash for treasuries. So it is what the bank ch- or what the Fed charges. Um, the federal funds rate is what the Fed charges for those loans, and then that affects a lot of other things throughout the economy. It'll affect your car interest rate. It'll affect your um, 
uh, your credit card interest rate will affect your HELOC rate, uh, and it'll also affect your CD rate. So what they're doing then is they're raising interest rates on uh, assets uh, uh, or on, on capital. So it's harder to get that money or it's more expensive to get that money. So people want to take out less loans. So people want to spend less money. They also incentivize savings because they have higher um, CD money market savings account uh, interest uh, yields ostensibly. So that's what the Fed does when they raise and lower the federal funds rate. The reason it's affected mortgage rates so um, profoundly is because it the Fed uh, participated pretty heavily uh, since the late 90s, definitely in the um, uh, 2008 real estate crash and um, more so than any other time during COVID and what they call quantitative easing. Uh, so they added a bunch of money into the economy. They created credit and they moved it through the economy. Um, and, you know, that when when they started taking money out of the economy through what they call um, quantitative tightening, uh, uh, that it was the markets was the markets have been reacting to what they think the Fed is going to do and how they think the Fed sees the economy and how their monetary uh, policy is going to be moving forward. And the raising and lowering of the federal funds rate just kind of speaks to that and so acutely affects mortgages. Uh, because of how quickly they raised interest rates after keeping mortgage-backed securities and treasuries so low for so long. Uh, so you can see here how interest rates went down. This is November 10th, and they went down. We talked about this in the beginning, um, how purchase applications uh, increased. The first week of January, purchase applications shot up to the highest level, like the, high, the difference week over week, the highest level that we have on history in history right. because interest rates had gone down so quickly. Uh, and then in February, we had some pretty negative or positive job data, uh, depending on how you look at it. The more jobs yeah. we add, the healthier the economy is, the healthier the economy is, the higher interest rates will go, the higher interest rates will go, the higher mortgage rates will go. So positive economic news is negative for interest rates. Negative economic news, morbidly, is positive for interest rates. You can see us here climbing up and up and up in interest rate. And then this is where um, uh, in this is, sorry, this is December. And then this is our move down in January. I can't see the dates down here. So I'm a little bit off. Uh, this is our move at the end of December. Um, but this is our move down to 5.99% uh, in our uh, mortgage interest rates. Uh, and then we moved up because of these negative job, jobs reports, you can see this red candle right here. That's what that is. And we continue to move up until Silicon Valley Bank collapsed in March of this year. You'll probably remember. I did a video on that. Yeah. Yeah. So Silicon Valley Bank collapses. We think the banking sector is going to collapse. The Fed comes in and um, FDIC. I mean, we can we can do another video on what happened and why. Uh, but the Fed came in and through a couple of new um, uh, old and new programs, um, they stopped other banks from uh, collapsing. But the problem is still there. That would be a cool follow up to do, because I remember that was actually the first if any um, any returning channel members on YouTube channel, that was your first exposure to Brian. Because uh, we had Brian record a video for me that I kind of did an introduction. Oh, for that's him. right. I forgot about that. You're yeah. on the channel from that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So we can go over that again, too. Uh, and then rates continued to go up until, and the rates went up uh, at the end of summer through September and into October, um, mostly because of one where the Fed in their in their meeting, they have a thing called a dot plot, which is where they see the federal funds rate moving forward over certain amounts of time into the future. And they saw rates being higher for longer. Uh, but we started to get, and, and also in June, which is the summer we had, um, we raised, we took away the debt ceiling. We didn't raise it. We took away the debt ceiling. Uh, so there is no debt ceiling. We've added about $2 trillion in debt since we took away the debt ceiling and we cannot revisit it until 2025. So as we took on more debt and the interest rate, uh, the yield on 10-year treasuries and other um, treasuries along the yield curve continue to go up and up and up and up, 
what this is, is the interest that the government has to pay when they give you a treasury bond. And so as the interest went up and up and up, it became more expensive. Uh, and our debt burden um, ballooned up to about $900 billion a year in just interest payments. Um, I think I think by the beginning of this year um, our, or beginning of next year, our, our payment on interest is going to be larger than our defense budget, which is crazy. Uh, it's one reason why I've been saying for the past um, year and a half that this isn't going to be a thing that's going to stay. It's not a new normal. If we cannot, we're a debt society, a debt growth society, and the government cannot afford for yields to get too high because then we cannot perform on our debt. We've already gotten downgraded once uh, in the past few months. And so as debt got more expensive, we had to issue more treasury notes. And as we have to issue more treasury notes, we have more supply. More supply means um, uh, less demand just by default. Uh, and so then we have fewer and fewer buyers to more and more sellers. And so, of course, then the price has to go up because then you have to, and uh, the price has to go down, excuse me, then the yield has to go up. You have to give more interest. You have to entice more buyers. And uh, so that continued to drive rates up until finally the treasury came out and uh, in uh, late October was really good for rates. That's this area right here. Uh, the secretary of the treasury came out and the treasury said that they needed uh, a, a lower refunding um, requirements than they had expected in the first quarter of 2024. What that means is they were going to issue, I think it was like 70 to 90 billion less in treasuries than they had expected. So that's pulling some future supply off the market. That was really helpful. Uh, we had um, a very negative or positive jobs number. Uh, so negative jobs number, positive for interest rates, you'll remember. Uh, we had um, uh, another really good um, uh, consumer price index inflation uh, report, uh, which showed a core consumer price index uh, going down to 3%, which was fantastic. And that moved rates down. And the good thing about this is you'd see a rally and then you'd see a little bit of calm. And then you'd see a rally, and then you'd see a little bit of a calm, and then you'd see a rally. So it wasn't just buyers coming in and taking profit and buying, but you would see this calm uh, in between these rallies, which really spoke to me uh, as someone who tracks us as the market sentiment shifting. And you could see that in uh, as rates went up really quickly here, you had a lot of Fed speakers come out and say, well, we think the higher yielding environment is doing the, the task of us, uh, of our quantitative tightening. Uh, and we're probably not going to have to raise interest rates any more than we do, than they, they currently are. Uh, and then as we started to go down, you would see them change their tune. And even Chairman Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, was saying, hey, I'm not sure if we're sufficiently restrictive enough. We may raise again, but the market just didn't believe him anymore. He was the the 10-year treasury was front running and he didn't want it to go down too fast. Um, so he tried to throw some cold water on the market, but they just didn't believe him anymore. And so as we continue this move downward, we're 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 in this is where I called it, say we did, you know, the first step in a thousand mile journey. As we continue to move down, we continue to make steps on that journey towards lower rates. And it seems like the market is moving in a way that they expect rates to continue to go down. Uh, they expect the Fed to be cutting rates. I expect in the first quarter of next year, um, and I expect us to either be pushed into a recession um, or some sort of regional banking crisis um, that is going to have to be stepped in and solved, uh, and that is going to be positive for interest rates. Um, as the unemployment rate, it went down on Friday, but if as it continues to move up, which it will, um, then we're going to be pushed into a recession, which is always good for housing and always good for interest rates. So I think we're going to be on this channel a lot more and we're going to be talking about rates a lot more regularly. Um, so you guys can follow along if you're watching with what's kind of happening week to week or every other week to every other week. Uh, this is a, a, a very quick down and dirty, like one-on-one of what's been happening. Uh, and I probably didn't explain it as well as I would like to, because I didn't want to get too into the weeds. I wanted to make sure it was understandable and then a kind of a chronology of what happened and where we are and why. 
Yeah, I think it's a great introduction. Um, where do you think... So, Brian, give us a general... Because, like, right now, we're currently December 9th right mm -hmm. now. Where are we currently floating right now with interest rates? So, nationwide interest rates are uh, average right now. This is the most loaded question that every lender hates to answer because if you come in... Uh, interest rates are so incredibly specific to so many different variables that it is. Yeah. Near, it is Can absolutely you give me a ballpark that doesn't get you in trouble with lending practices? Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> or however it works. Cause again, I, I will always say that as a realtor, I am layman's terms to know what gets you in violation. Yeah. Answering uh, Freddie Mac has pub publishes their rates and nationwide. Right. The average mortgage rates for 780 credit and 30% down with one point is right around 7.05, maybe 6.98 to 7.05. Those numbers a month and a half ago were really close to 8%. Um, yeah. The reality is, you know, with a small buy down, you can get to 6.99%. Sometimes you can get to 6.5%, sometimes 6.25, depending on if you're doing FHA or VA loan, if you're putting money down on a conventional loan, what your credit score is, what your loan term is. Like there's like, what sort of house you're buying? Is it a condo? Is it a manufactured home? Is it a single family? Is it a duplex? There's a million different things, but just know that rates overall have come down about a point in this time, no matter what your rate is. Which is a big you know, deal. That's I mean, big that's, deal, so. that's amazing for how much they've come up over yeah. the last and it's been relatively quickly in yeah, in six, seven weeks, relatively quickly going down a point in six, seven weeks is it, I like to um, uh, use the analogy that interest rates take, the elevator up and they take the stairs down. Uh, no investor wants to be caught. Um, you know, so who pushed who down the stairs over the last seven weeks? Oh, we pushed Jerome Powell down the stairs. <laughs> oh, no, didn't say he's not a real federal, like the federal reserve is no. the government. So he's not an elected official. I guess it's not. All right. Okay. <laughs> well, good. I no, I think man, that's be mean. That'd be elder abuse. Right. I think this was a good introduction though. Um, and if, of course, any listeners, uh, so I will, again, I'm reminding anyone who are listening to this in audio only podcast form, you can definitely uh, go to our YouTube channel. That's, um, if you look up on YouTube, it's at Aaron Mar Realtor, Seattle, Washington, or there should be a link to the YouTube channel on the podcast. So then you can actually go watch this in video format. So you can follow along with what uh, Brian was saying. If you're more of a visual learner, I myself, I'm a visual audio learner. So I kind of need both to be able to mm. track what's going on here, but I'm just, no, it's good. I'm just a non-learner. You're just a non-learner. Yeah. It's good. Well, no, this was great. I'm glad that you're able to come on Brian and uh, show us this. And yeah, I think we definitely have more to talk about next week to kind of naturally transition into some more of this stuff. Cause I get clients with like interest rates, I think it naturally kind of maybe as like a teaser too, we can naturally transition into ne next week. I think mm -hmm. the biggest thing I get when, and this might be another loaded thing for you. I get clients all the time that are always like, well, I saw that I saw a posted rate somewhere that said blank this, but why? Because my credit score is 620. Why is one lender claiming this and the other lenders claiming, claiming this on me? What truly is the rate? You know, so mm -hmm. I think it'd be good to maybe like cover some of those questions. So then we can kind of just give some of our viewers 
some clear guidance onto how all those practices work. Cause what yeah. would be nice to cover through this channel is people to have a better understanding of how the, um, I know f- really well how the real estate side of things work. And I'm kind of doing this and partnering with you on this to actually understand how the lending side works better as well. Teaming up with you just cause, um, it'd be nice to be able to answer those questions better for those clients out there that just get so confused and in the weeds on it, you know, mm-hmm. cause a lot of times it does get confusing. Well, you, on, we're explaining an you incredibly know. complex financial instrument in, yeah. and taking it down in a bite size of an interest rate and a payment. And that's a disservice to a client. What is my rate? Why is my rate? Almost every lender you talk to will not be able to tell you why your rate is. They don't understand what a hedging strategy is. They don't understand what mortgage-backed securities do or are, uh, or some have a layman understanding of it. Uh, It's super important, and it's really hard if these professionals don't get it because they're not traders, which is different than a lender. Um, They don't understand what's going to affect the market and how it's going to affect the market and even what the market is or the size of the market. It's really difficult to then to explain to a consumer. Um, and it can be frustrating, I imagine, as a consumer to say, well, I saw this rate online, but this every lender is telling me a different rate. Yeah. I was just telling them it's dark elf magic and you <laughs> aren't ever going to be under- able to understand it. You know? No. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah, it is, well, it's good. good. Yeah. Well, Brian, that was awesome. Very thorough. You know, we're at the 45 minute mark. Um, oh, anyone wow. that has any questions on this, if uh, if I miss any of your comments, because I'm so focused on the live, I will answer everyone's questions. I'll get back to your comments once we go back to this. Quick reminder again, this was Brian Laflame, my co-host. He's through Movement Mortgage. Uh, he works with anyone through all of Washington State. My name's Aaron Morrow, realtor in the greater Seattle area. I work with people in King, Pierce, Snohomish County as buyers and sellers. Um, one thing I will remind you guys, we get calls, texts, and emails from peeps just like you looking to buy or sell in the greater Seattle area. And we absolutely love it. So whether you're looking to make your next move in nine days or nine months, please just give me a call, shoot me a text, send me an email or my favorite schedule a zoom. All of my contact information and Brian's contact information is going to be found in this YouTube video. Um, Let us know if you guys have any questions. Those are some of our happy clients in the background, but other than that, See you guys on the next live podcast or whatever we call these. We are out. Mm -hmm.